This is a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So this is awesome. I'm so grateful uh, to be with you. Um, I, I, I just attended a Spanish service earlier this morning. And um, they sang three songs for an hour and 17 minutes, I counted. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And then I come here and I couldn't believe how beautiful it is to worship with you guys. You have no idea what a gift this is. Um, it's wonderful to be with God's people, even if it's um, virtual. It's wonderful. So I'm grateful to be with you. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask Jesus to really, uh, I, I'm praying more for me than for you. So just uh, let's pray. We're going to talk about something. Um, we're going to talk about loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor uh, when, uh, you know, we wish them badly, when they've harmed us, when um, we would rather see them hurt than uh, then saved. So let's go ahead and pray. And uh, then we'll go from there. Father, you've been nothing but good to us. Loving. You've pursued us when we didn't deserve it. You've opened your arms when we've struck your cheek. Loved us with a love that is unrepentant. For that, we just thank you. Lord, would you move mightily? Lord, I pray that you would move um, as a direct result of the words that you give me to say, but even in spite of the words, move deeply in your people, drawing them to yourself through the power of your spirit and your word. There are those who are here who are um, treating this as a checklist, something to check off on their checklist, on their to-do list. Lord, I pray that you would make this alive and powerful moment for them to experience you in ways that they have not yet. So Lord, uh, be glorified throughout the rest of this service. And thank you for the beautiful songs sung, the gorgeous prayers prayed, scriptures that are like life to us, Lord. Thank you for it all. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, uh, some a little while ago, not long ago, this year, actually not this technical year, but within the last 12 uh, months, I decided that I was going to um, move away professionally from uh, some of 
uh, my closest and dearest friends, people who I've loved and who have loved me, people who we've shared uh, not only meals, but tears and life together. And so I thought it was important uh, uh, that I let them know that, hey, this is a direction that the Lord is leading me to. And um, I can't tell you their response to me. It has been um, painful and um, really painful. One in particular, a dear, dear friend, uh, decided that he would uh, share some uh, deep confessions that I shared with him, uh, with people in authority uh, over me. And... um, and others have totally uh, separated themselves from me. And it's been a painful season. But here's what I know. What I know is that I am not the only one who has felt betrayed by the people that he loves, by people who are close to him. I know that I'm not the only one who's experienced those who have loved him to uh, experience harm from those who have loved him. And so this message today finds itself um, in like real time, I'm trying to sort out, you know, my own salvation with fear and trembling. And, um, but I know that I'm not alone. I know that I'm not alone. And so um, it would be something if this, because this is a human experience, right? We all, I, I don't care if you're like been coming to Emmanuel for decades, or you've been, you're very new to Emmanuel, or maybe you're here because, you know, your husband said, hey, come on, honey, we got to come to the service, or your wife said, hey, it's going to be a real cold night tonight if you don't show up to this, uh, or at least show your face in this uh, um, Zoom thing. But um, no matter where you are, if you're struggling in your faith, if you have no faith at all, if you're deeply God knows that all of us are going to struggle with moments where people who have, we love harm us. People who we respect um, have betrayed us. Those who we've looked to in authority have acted in ways that don't uh, become their office. He knows this. And so he hasn't left us uh, void of his word. He's given us, and interestingly enough, I almost could have just opened up the Bible to any page and put my finger down and found this principle, this principle that God is about to teach us of loving others, loving our neighbor. And so uh, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts with these, you know, some technical stuff. He starts with uh, this sort of six antithesis, right? You've heard it said, but I say, right? And he talks about murder and adultery and divorce and all these different things, right? These six different things. And he says, you've heard it said, or in other words, you've heard it taught this way. You've, you've received it like this, but I'm telling you, and he, what he's doing is he's establishing his authority. And he's also helping us clarify some of the mistakes that we might have as we read the scriptures. And boy, that's really necessary today, right? That's super necessary in your life and in mine that Jesus would come in and kind of re, you know, tweak some of our understanding of God's word so that it might reflect better his heart. Um, it might reflect better his heart on um, issues. So he starts again with this sixth antithesis. You've heard it said, but I say to you or the like, right? 
And so see, it says, you've heard that it was said, um, by the way, I'm looking on the side because this is the way I have my notes set up. So it's on this side. So I'm speaking to you here and I'm speaking, okay. Um, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Can we pause there and just say, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to love the people that are lovable. I'm not going to love the unlovable. I'm going to love the people that are lovable, like me. And I'm going to make sure that they have my affection, my devotion, my uh, fidelity, and, and, and all that other stuff. And then those people who are going to uh, wish me harm or do terrible things to me, well, those people I'm going to uh, definitely, I wouldn't say hate because we're 21st century Christians. And so we don't use words like that, but we do things like, I'm just not going to deal with them, or I'm going to unfriend them, or I'm going to block them on my phone or whatever your version of hate is. And it says, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that makes sense to us. But, but I say to you, pause. Whenever Jesus says something that like makes sense, and then he says, but I say... <laughs> Just stop reading. <laughs> Just go ahead. Whatever you're going to read next is going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And, and you know the next line because we've already read it. But if you're not deeply convicted, if you're not like cut to the core, then you're not paying attention. You're simply not paying attention. You're not, you're not thinking deeply enough. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Love and pray. And I'm not talking about like that Christian prayer, like where you call to, you know, you call your friend because you want to gossip about the person, but you code it in a prayer. You know, we need to pray for Mary because, you know, she's wilding out or whatever, <laughs> whatever she's doing. No, 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 no. Love your enemies. Pray for those who are actively, strategically, directedly, pointedly, with great accuracy, persecuting you. Now, if we stop right there, we recognize how impossible this is. But I want you to recognize something about the, um, the, sort of, the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with the Beatitudes, and it continues with these six antithetical, and then it goes on to the... well. I want you to notice something, that this, this sermon, and especially these six, six antithetical things, uh, but certainly the entire sermon, we, we often read it as something that we ought to do. And certainly, this is absolutely the kingdom ethic. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, what we're looking at is not the ways to get into the kingdom of God, but rather the ways to live in the kingdom of God once we've been saved. Like once God has done this transitional work, the culture that you grew up in is beautiful. And there are many things that we need to um, uh, hold on to from that culture that God has, by his, uh, by his glorious and general grace, has uh, given us to enjoy. However, there are some things that are in our culture that we need to be confronted about, and Jesus gives us this Sermon on the Mount to show us how we live in the family of God. So now that you've been adopted into this family, how do you live? Okay, so now... Keeping that in mind, when we read the uh, Sermon on the Mount, we often just think this is about us. But the fact is, when we read verses like this, we recognize that this is not primarily about us as to what we should do, but rather, this is 
demonstrating or reminding us of what Jesus has already done. Important distinction. Because we're not just to reflect on how we're to behave within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, but we're, we're caused to reflect on what Jesus actually did. Not what we're to do, but what Jesus actually did on our behalf. And so we see what he's done. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I one time, I worked in a... Um, I worked in a luxury apartment complex. This was like in my, whoa, this was like ancient history. This is like 25 years ago. It's like a quarter of a century ago. And I worked in this apartment complex. It was one of my first jobs. And it was a, um, a porter's position. You know what a porter does? Some of you live in like uh, luxury complexes and there are people who mop the floors and make sure that your you know, mailbox is all clean and, and all that stuff. So that was my job. And so, um, I remember that uh, there was an empty apartment. It, this was a luxury apartment complex that had like 300 or so apartments in it. And so when the, the apartment was emptied, it was part of our job to clean up the apartment. And one of the jobs was, and it was about, I don't know what it was, maybe 30 floors, 35 floors, something like that. And um, my boss did something that was, uh, he gave me a great gift. He, he, he said, Edwin, I want you to clean the windows. Now the problem was is that the window was like on the 26th floor. And I just said, mm, you know, I'm a hard worker. I'll do whatever you say. I'm not cleaning the outside of those windows. You know, like, can, can we figure out something else? You know, I, I, I knew how good a job, it was a good job and I, I knew I needed it. I didn't, I never graduated even junior high school. So I knew how lucky I was to have the job, but I said, wow, that's, that's a big ask. And he says, okay, Edwin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to clean these windows, but let me show you something. So he tied a, a rope to his waist and then he had tied it to something that was a lot more stable um, in the thing. And then he hung out the window and then he washed and he showed me, he goes, here's, this is a good uh, uh, way to do this. And he grabbed the window this way. And then he's, so he's cleaning the outside of the window. You understand he's hanging 26 floors out of the thing, but this is how you do it. And it moved me. It moved me because he wasn't telling me to do something that he himself wasn't willing to do. And he didn't tell me to do something that he himself had not experienced himself as he just demonstrated. It moved me and it helped me to realize that I would be willing to follow him to do whatever he was willing to do. Jesus is not, Manny, my boss, who at the time was my boss, not Jesus, but he was showing me something very Christ-like. Christ is not telling us to step out on the ledge of loving our neighbor and do this impossible thing because it hurts too much and it's so difficult. He's not asking us to step out on the ledge and do that without having done it first himself. But here's the thing. When Christ did it, he did it for us, but he did it in relationship to us. In other words, the enemy that needed forgiving in Christ's world was you. You, sitting in your apartment, surrounded by your things, wearing your shirt, you, that was the enemy. So Christ had an enemy that wanted him harm, that did him no good, 
it was That changes things. It changes things because we can now see the incredible cost that's been bestowed upon us to love us. So what did Christ do? He loved us. Well, what did that mean? Well, it meant several things. And if you're a person who writes things down, this might be worth writing down or maybe not. I don't know. But I've heard in my church, we say this, uh, that the uh, shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory, Right. I, I, I so love what Laura said. She goes, she started this thing off. This is literally the first I've ever, I've been in a church setting for over 25 years. And uh, what Laura said was perfect. She goes, you know, as I went through this week, I remembered last week's sermon. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was, I was blessed by that. I was like, man, give me the number of that guy. I want to hear his, I want to hear how he preps his sermons. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, so, so the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Here's the point. Um, here's the, the first thing that you're That the, the one who has uh, been at enmity, that God had to forgive the deep sins of the one who has been at enmity with him. That one is us. So that's like the first big idea. That God had to forgive the sins of his enemies. And his enemy was me. Now, we've talked enough about that, I think, that you get the point. But I want to take that point a little bit further. The second thing that I want you to hear is that when others harm us, all they're doing is giving an illustration to us of what we've done to Jesus. When someone has harmed us, all that they're doing is being illustrative to what we've done Christ. Does that make sense? So all they're doing is giving me a, a, a almost like, like, you know how like the prophets would um, give this living illustration in their lives? Like, you know, remember um, there was this prophet from, I can't remember, but I, I remember his name was like something like Abigus or Agabus, Abigus, Agabus, something like that in the New Testament. And he comes to Paul, and he does this illustrative thing. He takes off Paul's belt. Could you imagine someone taking off your belt? That's never happened. And so he takes off Paul's belt, and then he ties his own arms, and he says to Paul, uh, the, the, the way uh, uh, the person who owns this belt, that's the way he's going to be tied, right? He says something like that. And so whenever a person is um, harming us, persecuting us, seeking our destruction. That person is a prophet sent from God to illustrate to us how we have behaved towards Christ. So those people that I just shared with you about, the people who are betraying me, the people, my, my inclination is to say, I would never do that to you. I would never divulge secrets. I would never betray confidences. I would never uh, defame or harm your uh, reputations. And then I read this text and I go, oh, wait, not only 
would I ever, I've already. See, the very things that they're doing to me that I feel such pain about, I've done to Christ. This allows me to look at others without a spirit of judgment and a spirit of love. Because when I recognize that all they're doing is play acting and the person that they're impersonating is me, then in that moment, I recognize that I am the greatest sinner in the relationship. This is the only way that that statement that Christ made makes sense. I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So how did Christ love us? Well, number one, Christ loved us by bearing the burden of the sin that we committed against him. How did Christ love us? He loved us by bearing the burden of the sin committed against him. Do you think you're going to be any different if you're going to follow Jesus closely? The harm that I may experience from others, very much so, I'm going to have to bear the burden of. Most of them won't ever come back to apologize. It's very few people in my life that I've noticed from those who have harmed me. I mean, like in significant ways. I mean, like not, not those who have like slighted me. I'm not talking about those, you know, slight. A slight is very easy to ask forgiveness for. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I blew you off. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I didn't take your phone call. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I, um, you know, didn't show up when I said I was going to show up or help you move when I said I was going to help you move. That's, that's all slights. But I mean like real enemies, harm. I'm going to have to bear the burden like Jesus had to bear the burden for me. This is super important because we live in a society where there are very real sides. Right now, some of you are very blue and others of you are very red. And the way the blues are acting is getting your goat. You can't stand the way the blues are acting. The blues are terrible. Oh my goodness. What could they do? Marching down, burning down stores in the name of some sort of principle? What are they thinking? The blues are terrible. And the reds. Oh my goodness. They're storming castles and threatening uh, all sorts of things, man. The reds are terrible. They're awful. They should be shot. And it's very easy that in this congregation, in this beautiful, glorious congregation, that you would be like the world is, and that you would love your people, and that those over there, they, you would just, you know what you would do? You would dismiss them. Because that's, that's what we do when, we, when we're forced, when we force ourselves not to do what this scripture says. We dismiss people. We go, they're crazy. Or we say, they're old and antiquated in their thinking. Or we say, that's not the way I would have done it when I was a youth. Or we say, something else, you fill in the blank, you get what I'm saying. We, we, we dismiss people, we're dismissive. But the scriptures aren't calling us to do that. And in Emmanuel, the scriptures aren't calling us certainly to tolerate people. The scriptures are calling us to 
love. Now, this is super important because you might not right now be in a marriage where all you're doing is tolerating. In fact, in your marriage, you've found your enemy. And you don't say it like that. And you certainly don't, uh, you don't admit it to yourself. But if, but if I was a fly on the wall and was taking notes, or you were a fly on their wall and were taking notes, you would say, by their behavior, they look like they hate each other. They don't talk to each other. They don't empathize with one another. They ignore each other. They, they live separate lives, hoping that the other one doesn't intervene. That might be your story in your marriage. This verse, beloved, is for you. Your political party might not be in power right now. They might have gotten voted out. You feel like the, the blues are going to just destroy the earth and destroy this country and destroy all these sorts of things. And you're called to love them. I mean, love them. Like, like you love your kids. Or like you love yourself. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That you would, in the midst of the moment. Now, how did Jesus do this? Well, we can see this clearly, right? Jesus is literally on the cross. Now, here's the thing. If I ever get to the point of love and prayer, it's always way after the fact. I want you to know, I do not hang in crosses praying for people who have hung me there. I wait till the nails have been taken out, till I've gone through enough therapy so that the wounds have been healed. And then I consider with great uh, uh, consideration whether or not I will forgive them. No, that's not what the scriptures say. Scripture says pray for them. And again, if this is illustrative of what Christ has done, Christ did it while they were doing it, while they were harming him, while they were hurting him, while they were killing him. Now, it's important to say that if um, you're in a relationship where someone's physically harming you, that you not stay in it, that you don't use this sermon as an illustration or, or, or a, a support um, or a proof text to, um, to stay in that harmful relationship. In just the few verses before this, and where um, it speaks about an eye for an eye, it says something really powerful. If uh, someone gives you, uh, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And of course, that does not mean if someone punches you in the face that you don't defend yourself. That's, that's, that's not what that means. What it does mean is that you turn to them an opportunity to do what's right. That you don't cut that relation off, but that you give them another opportunity to do what is good. And remember a joke about that as uh, some guy in Scotland was picking potatoes because he had given his life to Christ. He was a boxer, prize fighter. And uh, he was picking potatoes off the ground because he couldn't make money anymore because he felt like he couldn't fight anymore because he got saved and all that other stuff. And so he was picking, picking potatoes off the ground and some hooligans found him and they said, um, hey, aren't you that fighter who became a Christian and you're a sissy and all that other stuff? And he goes, ah, yes, 
and he's from Ireland, so he has an accent. And that's my Irish accent. <laughs> that's terrible. I know Jim's been around, Pastor Jim has been around the world. And he's like, that's terrible. Don't do that. I'm going to do it anyway. And so, um, and so he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, well, doesn't the Bible, they say, don't the Bible say, uh, you know, to turn the other cheek? And so he goes, ah, yes, that was from the, my Lord. And, and so they smack him on one side and he goes, ah, my Lord told me, turn the other cheek. And so he turns the other cheek and they actually slap him on the other side. And then, and then he gets into his fighting stance. He goes, my Lord gave me no further instructions. <laughs> And so, which is, I love that story. I love that story because that's exactly how I feel when others have harmed me. And the Lord says, nah, here's the further instructions, man. Love them. Pray for them. Here's the further instructions. Pray for them. You have nails sticking out of your hand. Has someone pierced your side? Have you received the blows of hate from someone you loved or even someone you don't know? Pray for them. What would you pray for? Well, you pray for the very things that you want for yourself when you sin in this exact same way towards Christ. Do you see the correlation here? That if they're an illustration on how I sin against Jesus, then what I am receiving from Jesus and what I desire from Jesus is what I ought to pray for them because I am literally receiving it from Christ. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. We'll continue on, right? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. In other words, so you, you might bear the family resemblance. It's not so that you can get saved. It's so that you bear the family. It's so that you, you display the family, right? Like um, uh, Laura called us to gather our kids together. And right now my daughter was here. And I was like, Serenity, get over here. Because she had just come. Uh, from the Spanish service that we had gone to and uh, was here. And so I said, Serene, come here, come here. And so, you know, she came in and, um, and if you saw her, you would notice the family resemblance. It was like, oh, oh, th those are Edwin's eyes. That, that's Edwin's lips. That's, you, you would recognize that in her. When you and I are loving and praying, prayerful, we bear the family resemblance. Go, <gasps> That's the father's words. That's the son's look of empathy. That's the spirit's turning, turning towards rather than turning away from. You bear the family resemblance so that you may be sons of your fathers. And ladies, if you get offended by it saying sons of your fathers, don't worry. Scripture language uses all sorts of gender-specific um, uh, lenses in order to illustrate to us, um, in order to illustrate to us what God is trying to to say, and you know, don't feel bad. Us guys are called wives, right? <laughs> We're the bride of Christ. If you think it's bad being called sons, us men have to deal with being called brides. So it's a rough one for us all. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For this is the reason makes the sun rise. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Every one that you've ever laid eyes on is someone who God has bestowed grace upon their lives. He has 
He is bestowed grace upon them. Therefore, but it's undeserved. The sunshine is undeserved on that wicked president. The sunshine is undeserved on that wicked president elect. Beloved, love him. Pray for him. What reward, and so, and then goes on to say, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And that's right, like, so what do you expect? The cookie, right? You love people who love you, even the Gentiles, even tax collectors do that. And that's what it says in the next verse. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? But we're called, remember, remember what I said earlier, we're called into a kingdom ethic. We're called into a new if you greet only your brothers, what more do you do than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect. Therefore, what God is doing is what you ought to be doing. Now, again, if this doesn't crush you, if this doesn't grind you to dust, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. This is impossible. But we have a God who's not only done this for us, we have a God who promises to do this through us. The same God who has had to pay the high price to forgive our sins, to pardon our iniquities, is the same one who by his spirit will empower us to walk in him. To find in him what we need. You go, I can't do that. And at that point, God goes, well, now we finally agree. Of course you can't do that. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to trust me to do it in you. To follow my spirit that I put in you. So that you might experience. You might experience his presence and his strength in moments that seem impossible. Now, there's a lot more to say here on how, and the Bible has a lot more to say on how we're supposed to deal with enemies. This is a primer. This is the first step. Now, we haven't talked about what wisdom entails, uh, especially when we talk about physical harm or somebody like, you know, uh, your junkie, uh, your, 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 you know, drug dealer who wants to sell you his drugs is harming you. You don't know it, but he's harming you. And so it's, it's important to use wisdom and to love what love for him looks like and what praying for him looks like looks different than say something else. But we started with at least this principle. And my prayer that for this sermon is that you would at least be challenged and even crushed to the degree where you recognize that Christianity is not about making good people better but about making dead people alive in Christ. So if you could recognize your own brokenness and death and recognize that you are not up for this task, you can call on Jesus. Now, how does this apply? This applies in a myriad of ways that we've already discussed, so I won't go over too much. I will say this. We live in a time where what's needed more 
What's needed more from the church than ever before is an incredible witness to love. An incredible witness that people who disagree with us. Now, think about this. If I was a member of Emmanuel and I told you I voted for Trump, would you have a tough time listening to this message? What if I told you I voted for Biden? Would you have a tough time listening to this message? Love. I did one of those. If I marched in a Black Lives Matter rally, or if I held a sign and protested against Black Lives Matters, would you have a tough time listening to me? I did one of those. Don't you see? In this congregation, there's going to be a great temptation based upon how you guys are wired. In my church, it's pretty easy. We're black and brown. I know which way we go. It's, you know, like, I know my people. I, I, I wish, I, I love that we're getting to know each other a little bit more, but I don't know you as well as I wanted to. And so right now, it might be a hazard to say, I am pro-Biden. You might feel unnerved by saying that. And that's because the rest of us aren't practicing this verse. And some of you might feel like you have to stay in the closet with your MAGA hat. And it's because we haven't practiced this verse. Love it. Here's what I want you to do. What I want you to do is make it so overwhelmingly obvious in the words that you say and in the condition of your heart that if I wore my MAGA hat at your church, I would be welcomed. And if I wore my Biden hat and at your church, I would be welcomed. Why? Seeking our Jesus. And we're giving to others what we desperately need from him. My prayer is that you would do this, even through this very unsettling period of time. I absolutely love you, Emmanuel. My prayer is that you would go beyond cultural Christianity. For Jesus in such a way, it would cause you to cry for your own sins against Christ, and then weep over the forgiveness that he's bestowed upon you. Then let that sit in that till it overflows. My prayer for you. Could you imagine if we did that? Could you imagine what Emmanuel would be like? Could you imagine what your house, could you imagine what your, your address, your house would be like, your apartment, where you live, your work? The only hope for the world, really. That's my prayer for you. Uh, I love you, and uh, God bless you, and I give it back um, to Pastor Jim or to Laura. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city, and I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. 
And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.